You know, in the past few months, couple months, we've been talking about the great um, effect of the kingdom of God in our lives and the fact that we're part of that kingdom. The Bible says that you were called out of darkness, out of the domain of darkness. Now, domain is a word that means the control. It means the control of darkness, a place where darkness is controlling, a place where darkness is ruling. But it says you were brought out of the domain of darkness and you were transferred into the kingdom of his glorious son. What a wonderful thing that is. You notice the difference in terms here. Darkness was not a kingdom. Why? Because there was no true king in darkness. Before you knew Jesus, you were not serving a king. You were, the Bible says that before we, before we were born again, we were following a course. It says this in Ephesians. We were following the course of this world, which is according to the prince and the power of the air. And he's talking about the devil. In other words, even if you didn't know, you might have said, I wasn't, I wasn't worshiping Satan. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say, oh, you know what, devil, you're my Lord. You didn't say anything like that. Nevertheless, the road of selfishness in the world... Is a, is, a, is a road, is a path that's laid out by the devil himself. You know, I think sometimes, you know, in the 80s, there was a big scare about Satanism. People made a lot bigger of a deal out of it than, they, than it really deserved to have. And, uh, you know, there was, a, there was music coming out that had, you know, uh, pentagrams on it and 666 and all of this. And so there was a big, there was a big movement of, you know, uh, there were some high-profile crimes and things like that. So people were, were aware of, uh, of worshiping Satan, aware that that was a thing. But, you know, if you really examine the core beliefs of Satanism itself. Now, first and foremost, before there was ever a group that called themselves Satanists, there's been a group that have been following the devil. And that's just, if you really examine the beliefs... It's not, like, it's not like the opposite of Christianity. It's not like, it's not like a Satanist says, you know, I'm going to do everything to serve Satan. In reality, do you know what Satanism really is? It's just selfishness. It's making yourself God. If you really were to look at the, I mean, I don't want to talk about Satanism this morning, but if you really were to delve into the beliefs, the beliefs are, are essentially this. You're your own God. Do what you want. You're the most important thing. You, you've got, we've all got a God within ourselves. You, you know, put yourself on top and, and that's, that's, that's basically the essence of what it is. And the Bible says that whether you knew it or not, before you knew Jesus, that's what we all were doing. But it says he bought you back from the domain of darkness. He took you out. He paid the price so that you could be rescued from the control of darkness. And he transferred you into a kingdom where there's a real king on the throne, where there's a true king on the throne, the kingdom of his beloved son. And now that there is a true king, now you know you might look around and say, I don't, I don't see the kingdom of God. I see, I see a democracy. I see monarchy in other places. I see dictatorships, but I don't see Jesus ruling the world. But that's because we're in this phase of the kingdom of God where it's an invisible kingdom that's within his people and we spread it everywhere we go. The Bible talks about a time when Jesus will return and rule over the earth. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron, which means you don't get to do what you want to do. We all obey the king. And when that happens, surprise, surprise, there will be great peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb. 
The child will play with snakes and not be harmed or afraid. That time, if you haven't noticed, isn't here yet. We're in the time that Jesus told us about where there'd be wars and rumors of wars. The earth itself is suffering under great birth pangs. We're in a time where the world is about as messed up as it could be, and yet Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Take good heart, I've overcome the world. And here in this time period that we're in, we get to be the church of Jesus. We get to be the body of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians that, that his church, his people are his body and that body is the fullness of God. I want you to think about what that means. It says this church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Think about what that means. Let's look what it says. It says he fills all in all. That means that every area, every place, every I mean, every, every space and corner of the planet, God wants to fill. And you might think, well, God, why don't you just do it? You know, fill the world with your presence. How many of you have prayed something like that before? Fill the earth with your presence, God. Just, just take over. And yet the scripture says that the church is his fullness. He wants to fill the planet with his presence, and his church is the way he wants to do it. You think of what that means. Sometimes we're waiting on God. God, just do something. God, just make something happen. And he's saying, I have filled you. I filled my people with my spirit. Now I've sowed you into the world. Go out. Fill the world with my presence. What would change in the planet if the church embraced the fact that they are the fullness of God who fills all in all? Now that only works if we're submitted to the head, right? You can't just go and do your own thing or interpret that your own way and say, well, here's what I think should happen. But instead, if we're the body, your body listens. I mean, all of your commands that your body gets, where does it get it from? Right. It comes from your brain, doesn't it? It comes from your head. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here's the good news. You don't have to come up with your own idea how to save the planet. Now, I'm going to tell you, the physical planet can't be saved. It, it has an expiration date. And you know, we can tell that scientifically now, that there's, a, there's an end to it. It's not going to happen how you think it's going to happen. It's not going to happen why you think it's going to happen. But this planet was not built to last. It would have lasted had there not been sin. But when mankind allowed sin into the world, the planet came under a curse. And the Bible says it will perish. But don't be worried about that. Because it says, we serve a kingdom that won't perish. And though the earth will pass away, his word will never pass away. It says, all the kingdoms of the earth have an expiration date. They'll all end. But we serve a kingdom which will endure. Has no end, has no, has, has no spot where it diminishes. It says, of the increase of his kingdom. I, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. And he said, of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. His kingdom is going to continue to increase and increase. And thank God we get to be part of that. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about if, if we are in the kingdom of God, and if we are radically different, should we be radically different? You figure? You, I mean, think about what we believe. Now, I hope that you came to church not pretending to believe something, but really believing it. Now, think about what we believe. We believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth. We believe that that God 
although we rebelled against him, sent his son, his, his, part of himself, sent Jesus to redeem and rescue the planet. And that when Jesus died for our sins, he gave us an opening and a bridge to come back to God and be reconciled to God. Now, you had to make that choice. He didn't force you into reconciliation, but he gave you the opportunity to come back to God. We believe that once we came back to God, we, we, we let the king be the king. We let Jesus rule and reign in our hearts and our lives. If we really believe that, do you think that you have a ton in common with anybody else? Or do you think that you might be radically different from everybody else on the planet? Now, don't take that as a point of pride, thinking you're better than everybody else. Because one thing we learn through the gospel is that we all needed a Savior. One thing we learn through the gospel is that we were all messed up. No matter how good you thought you were, you weren't good enough. So it puts us all on equal playing field. And we recognize that we needed a Savior. And we got one, thank God. So if we believe that, We've now gone from serving ourselves, serving our own interests, which in the end wasn't really serving ourselves, it was really damaging us, to serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We went from having these certain goals that the world had, which elevate you to the top of the pile by stepping on others in the pile, to a place where we realized that the greatest in the kingdom of God would be the servants of all. That if anyone is exalted, it's, he's exalted by God. The Bible says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. If we believe that, that makes your life very different. Radically different. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about if we're, if we're part of a different kingdom, how do we react? How do we, how do we um, act around the kingdoms of this world? How do we, how do we uh, act uh, when it comes to earthly authority. And, and the scripture is very clear about that. For, for the king's sake, for Christ's sake, you submit yourself to authority. You might think you were pulled over for a wrong reason, but Jesus tells you to respect the guy that pulled you over, even if you think he's wrong. You might think that you're prime minister or you're premier, or if you live somewhere else, the, the head of that state, you might think that they're, they're an idiot and you might think that they're doing the wrong thing. And yet the Bible says, honor that person as under the Lord. It says, pray for them that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. Now, as we're moving on from that, how many of you have heard the term and, and have maybe said it amongst one another, we're in this world, but we're not of this world? You know, there's not a specific scripture that says that in, in those specific words, but that thought, that idea is probably drawn from John, John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed this great prayer to God about what he would like, what he wanted his church to be. And in fact, what God's will for the church was, God's will for his disciples, God's will for his people. You know, when we say that, we're in the world and not of it. You can say it one way, you can say it another way, and a lot of people take it in many different ways. Some people use that phrase to say, I'm in the world, but I want nothing to do with them. Some people take it to say, I'm on the planet, but get me away from these smelly, dirty, sinful people. When in reality, if you read it in John chapter 17, he's not saying you're in the world, but have nothing to do with the world. When he says of the world, he's talking about where you came from. 
And I want to set you, give you some background for this. In John chapter 8, Jesus argued with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, you're from the devil. Your mother was a loose woman. You know, they say all these things. You're probably a Samaritan. You probably have a demon. You know, they're, they're really coming at them with everything they've got. And Jesus says... You don't understand what I'm talking about because you're from below. I'm from above. You're of your father. You don't understand the truth because you're just like your dad. And your dad was a liar from the beginning because your dad is, you're you're following after your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. Now, uh, that's not the best way to get on religious people's good side to call their dad the devil. They said, no, our father's Abraham. He says, if your father was Abraham, you'd believe me. You'd listen to what I was saying. And he lays out two different paths here. He says, he says those that are from beneath, they don't, he, when they hear the truth, they don't recognize it. He said, but I'm not from below, I'm from above. I'm not of this planet, I came from above. I came from my father. And where I came from, my roots matter. Now, in John chapter 17, he prays this prayer to Jesus. Sorry, Jesus prays this prayer to the Father. And I want you to follow along with me for a moment. John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've manifested, that means I revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. Now notice what he says. He says, there are a group of people that you gave me out of the world. That's where they were. They were in the world, but then you gave them to me and they were yours, you gave them to me. Then he says, now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them. Isn't that good news? Yes. Now, what every miracle Jesus ever did, he did by the word of the Father, didn't he? Yes. You never see Jesus do a miracle where he says nothing. You can't find it in the Gospels. He always said something. And thank God, even though there's miracles of healing and, and deliverance and, and, and miracles of nature, you also see Jesus... Um, teaching with authority, and that's a miracle in itself, that when he taught, eyes were open. When he taught, things were broken in the spirit. Things were planted, things were revived. He says, those same words you gave me, I gave to them. Then he says this. He says, they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. So watch what he says. They figured out that even though I was born in Bethlehem, in a dirty place where they kept animals, that's not where, really where I came from. They understood I came from you. 
Now, this may not be as big in our culture as it should be, but, but it was important then, and it's, it's really important spiritually that you understand where we come from matters. You notice the, the Pharisees kept asking, the Sadducees asked as well, where did you get this authority from? Who authorized you? Who sent you to do these things? And here he says, it's important. They've recognized, I came forth from you. They recognized, they believed that you sent me. Then he says in verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those who you've given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you've given me, and I guarded them. Not one of them perished but the son of perdition. He's talking about Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, that's a huge statement. It's easy for us to believe that Jesus, born of a virgin, is not of the world, that he was the Son of God come in the flesh. But it's a radical thought that he said about his disciples in the same way that I'm not of the world, they're not of the world. So when we're talking about being of the world, you might think that's, that's how we, maybe that's how we act, it's how we behave, but it goes much deeper than that. It's talking really about where you came from, where you came out of. He says, they're not of the world. That's not their home anymore. That's not their roots anymore. That's not where they were sent. They're not from the world any more than I'm from the world. They're not defined by the world even more than I'm defined from the world. They're not restricted to the same things, even as I'm not restricted to those things. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. So this is where we've gotten the phrase, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Because Jesus continually says, they're in the world. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, and maybe you wish that he would. Maybe you wish at the moment you bowed your knee and you, you gave your life over to Jesus, that he would just take you to heaven and you wouldn't have to mess with this world. But that's not what happened. He left you here for a reason. But he says in the same way, now you watch as Jesus walks the planet, as he walked from village to village, he ate the food they ate, he wore the clothes they wore, he drank what they drank, he fellowshiped with them. He did not remove himself continually and say, I don't want to be around you people. He was continually just right in their midst. He took on their culture, although he didn't take on their culture to the point that it replaced the, 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 the culture and command of God. There were times where their culture conflicted with the command of God, and in that sense, he rejected it. So he goes around healing people on the Sabbath, even though they think that's offensive. And he says, I'd re- I have to obey the Father. But you also see, I mean, you know, Jesus came into a culture of Jewish people, and he walked the earth as a Jewish man. Now, now the reason he did that was because those people were the people that God had given the covenant through Abraham to through David. But you know, if, if Jesus were to come 
uh, you know, and I don't get weird theology, theologically here. He did not come to North America. I know you, if you were an ex-Mormon or something, please forgive me, but he didn't come to North America. But if he had, if he had come to the, the Cree people, don't you think, do you think he would have come to the Cree people and spoke Hebrew and wore Hebrew clothes around them? If he had come to the Cree people, he would have worn what they wore. He would have spoke their language. He would have, he would have eaten moose and he would, have, he would have eaten bannock and enjoyed it, as we all do. Jesus had come to the Celts. He would, have, he would have worn their clothes and spoke their language. You see, what he did was he took our flesh, he took our nature on us, he spoke our language, he ate our food, and yet we still understood that though he was in our culture, though he didn't remove himself from the people, that he was different from everyone else. He says, in the same way that I'm different, they're different. And I'm not asking you that you take them out of the world. I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one. Now, this is relevant to us because we've been left in a culture that has some really big mess-ups with it. There's some things in our culture that go directly against the culture that God has against the commands of God. And we understand that our world is not perfect. In fact, it's anything but. And more and more in Canada, we see our, 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 the, the broader culture, we see the, uh, the political realm moving away from the gospel and moving towards a different attitude and a different way uh, of seeing the world. Sometimes more and more, you feel like the church in the New Testament as Peter wrote his letters to the church and said, I write you as exiles. I'm writing you as exiles, as aliens and strangers. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you're in this world and you start to feel a little bit like an alien and a stranger. Now, when I say alien, you might, we're not talking about Martians. We're not talking about... Um, you know, outer space. We're talking about aliens as in foreigners. The more and more you embrace the gospel, sometimes the more and more you feel like a foreigner in your own home country. I don't know if you felt that way before. Peter refers to us as exiles. An exile is somebody who's been taken from his homeland and placed in another land. And the Hebrew people understood this well because... Much of their history was lived out as exiles. Specifically, you had the ten tribes um, that of the north, which were taken over by the Assyrians. But most of what we know about the exiles, uh, uh, we, we think about the tribe of Judah, for instance, that was exiled, the Jews that were exiled in Babylon and later Persia. And you see them live out their life away from their homeland in, a no, in another land. Now, if you've ever read um, any of the Old Testament, even the New Testament, Babylon, when it's used metaphorically, Babylon is never used in a positive way, right? If, if the Lord said, you live in Babylon, we wouldn't say, oh, thank God, we're finally home. No. <laughs> Once again, referencing Peter, he writes the letter. When he's writing that letter, he says, I'm writing you from Babylon, well, when he wrote that letter, there was no Babylon. But he was writing from Rome and he was saying, this is basically the new Babylon. Yeah. And he writes them as exiles. And they understood that. You know, Jeremiah was a prophet that nobody really liked. 
See, we all look for prophets. We all want prophets that, that tell us everything's going to be good. Oh, man, if you think it's good now, it's going to get better in the future. Tell you what, uh, your, your bellies are going to be full. Uh, your, your cars are going to be bigger. Your houses are going to have swimming pools. We like that prophet. But Jeremiah walked around saying, guys, hope you enjoy this because they're moving us soon. Hope you have some fun in Jerusalem because they're going to take us to Babylon and you're not going to be able to fight them off. And it's your fault because the Lord told you what to do and you didn't obey him. Well, the king says, I don't like this guy. Throws him in a pit. Prophesy from there, man. And he gathered around himself prophets that would say, ha, 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 Babylon's coming, but we'll be fine. We got big walls. We're, we're okay. Everything's going to be fine. Jeremiah took an o, a yoke, uh, which is the thing that would put two oxen together so they could pull heavy loads. And he took the yoke on himself and he, said, he walked around. See, this God did this in the Old Testament with prophets. He made them walking object lessons. And Jeremiah walks around with this big heavy yoke on it that normally would be for two big oxen to carry. And Jeremiah takes it on himself and he walks around saying, just like this yoke is around me, so will the yoke of Babylon be around the, the whole nation. Get ready. Nobody likes that. But the truth is it happened. They thought that maybe Egypt would come and rescue them and they, they, they thought all this stuff would work and it didn't. And they were taken away. And the Babylonians did it in stages. One of the first groups they took were the young, educated noblemen. And from that group, they took their young men that had been educated and that were being trained up to be part of royalty. From that group, we find Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah got new Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those four young men... And Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Now, I don't like calling them by those names because those names stink. <laughs> Their original Hebrew names meant things like the Lord gives grace, the Lord is my help, who is like God. Their new Babylonian names were talking about the false Babylonian gods. So they come over and you see what happens. The Babylonians try to turn them in to good Babylonian citizens. Now, one of the first things they probably did, I hope this doesn't make you too uncomfortable, they probably castrated them first thing. Nobody likes that. It would be easy to have a bad attitude after that, wouldn't you think? You'd be taken from your homeland, you're castrated, all this stuff happens to you. Yet Daniel and his three buddies, they say, we're here. The prophet told us we were coming. The prophet told us this was going to happen. It's happening so, you know what? While we're here, we're going to obey the Lord. We're going we're gonna to be who he wants us to be. And, and so what they did was, the first thing they did was they changed their names. Because if we change their name, we change their identity. We're going to take their names, which talk about their God, and change them to names that exalt our God. And in changing that, we're going to take them from Hebrew to Babylonian. Well, you remember one of the first things that Daniel and his three buddies did was as they were being groomed to be these fine young men and they were going to eat the king's finest meat, the finest wine. They said, we don't want to eat your food. We're going to eat our own diet if you don't mind. 
And as, a, as, an, as an example of what God could do amongst a group of, of youth that were eating good protein, were getting built up, these Hebrew children ate nothing but water and vegetables, and they actually got stronger, which is a miracle. You can lose weight eating just vegetables and water, but, you know, if you want to bulk up, that meat might come in handy. But instead, they said, you know what, we're going to do it our way. And the king's men were amazed that these guys actually got stronger and they got wiser. And the Bible says that they actually grew in excellence. They had an excellent spirit amongst them. And they actually excelled in even the Babylonians' teaching. They excelled in that. Now, this is good because some of you, have, and I, I, I want you to realize that everything we're talking about, even things that happened thousands of years ago, still have a relevancy today because many of you have your kids in a school that does not teach them what you wish they would teach them. Many of you have your kids in a school and have teachers that deny there's a God. And they're forced with those situations where there's a test put in front of them and they're forced to say, do I pass the test? By giving the answers that the teacher wants me to give? Or do I give the answers that I believe, which might go in conflict with what I've just been taught? Well, here's what, the, here's what Daniel and the three Hebrew children did. They didn't deny God. They didn't, they didn't compromise their beliefs. But they showed that they could learn, and they showed that they were good students. And they learned, it says, that the Babylonians literature and poetry, they learned it. Now, what we always have, have taught is that you teach, your, you teach your kids what the Bible says. You, you teach them to be good students. You teach them to, how to excel. You teach them to think for themselves. And yet, when they have that test, sometimes you just say, okay, I want you to tell your professor. I want you to tell your teacher. I believe differently. But to show you that I've been listening, I'm going to put out the answers you want me to put down. I'm going to tell you I might disagree with these, but I'm going to prove to you that I'm not a stupid student. I'm not a lazy student. I'll write down the right answers with a note of protest that I think it went down differently. In doing so, you, don't, you show yourself not to be ignorant or lazy but you show yourself that you were submissive and a good student, and yet you're still thinking for yourself. They excelled. They became the, the, the best students that Babylon had. So they got elevated, and there was a lot of stuff that happened in between there and then, but they got elevated to places of government. Daniel got elevated above all of them. And what you see is in, in exile, there was something that happened while they were there. Because they're in a period of exile and it was their fault that they were there. And even though they were away from Zion and in Babylon, the Lord kept telling them to remind themselves not to forget about Zion. Set your eyes to Zion. It talks about them by the rivers of Babylon. Longing for Zion. I want to read something to you from Jeremiah. Now, if I say Jeremiah 29, finish that. <laughs> What's your instinct? What's the first word that comes to your mind? Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You ever read the rest of it? I know when we graduate, somebody gives us a teddy bear with a graduate's hat cap on it, and it says Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. It would do you well to read the other verses around it. You ever quoted something from the Bible and then you go back and you realize, uh-oh, I shouldn't have quoted that guy. <laughs> right? 
wait a minute, Goliath said that? Oops. <laughs> I hope you didn't quote Goliath. I've said this before, but, but some of, I remember growing up and hearing some people quote some scriptures being like, you know, the word says this. Bop, bop, bop. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this is like their favorite verse in the Bible. And I remember sitting there thinking, wait a second. That was Job's friend that said that. <laughs> you know, the one that God came along and said, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so it's good to find the context of what you're quoting, isn't it? Yeah. Jeremiah 29 was written, remember I said Jeremiah went around telling them they were going to go into exile? Well, Jeremiah, hold your place in John 17 because we might go back there. But Jeremiah 29, he's preparing them for exile. And he's talking to the people that have been in exile. They've already been taken, but he's telling them how they're supposed to live in exile. Now, you can understand there might be two groups of people. You might feel like you were forced into one or two groups. There might be the people that, that are upset that they've been torn away from the promised land, the land that God gave them, and in a foreign land full of pagans and idol worshipers. And you might have another group of people that go, good, let's just be Babylonian. They seem to be having fun. Forget Zion. We're here now. Party on. But there's actually another way of Another way of living, another way of looking at it. Jeremiah speaks this message to the people that have been captured and taken to, to Babylon. He says this. Now, these are the words, Jeremiah 29, 1. Oh, we started at 1? These are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile. So remember, I told you they took people in stages. So some of them were already in Babylon, and Jeremiah writes a letter to them. And he's writing about the Spirit of God. It says to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Can you imagine how it might have felt for Jeremiah being left in this place when all of your best people, your rulers, your, your craftsmen, your educated folk, everybody that was contributing to society had already been taken away. It must have felt like a ghost town, like a wasteland. He writes a letter to them and he says this. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, there's going to be a pop quiz, you're going to have to remember how to spell all these names. <laughs> saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Think about that for a minute. You might think, I'm going to protest. Oh, we're not going to be here long. I'm not having anything to do with this Babylon. Nothing to do with Babylon system. Nothing to do with Babylon dirt. Nothing to do with Babylonian people. I'm here in protest. Send me home. God says, build houses. Plant gardens. And eat what comes out of the garden. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. 
Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Wow. Now that's relevant today. Because you could say, I'm in the world, not of it. I can't wait for the system to fall. Can't wait for it all to go away. And here's what the Lord says. Does anybody in the room think Babylon was a perfect place? Babylon in the scripture is consistently described as wicked, as contrary to God's ways. And yet he says, while you're there, Seek the welfare. Pray for the city. Pray for the people. Bless the city where you are. Increase. Have kids. Start families. Build houses. Plant gardens. And as they're blessed, you're blessed. And you look around, you go, whoa, boy, the city I live in, the country I live in, the province I live in, it's contrary to God. We need to pray that, they, that their destruction comes on them. We need to pray that they learn the error of their ways. But the scripture says you pray for them. You bless them because they need to be blessed because you're there. God will work out what he needs to work out. Judgment will come when it needs to come. But as for you, you increase in the place that God has sent you into exile. We're in exile here. This is not our home. We're not of the planet. We're of heaven now. That's your home. That's your citizenship. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ sent to Canada to represent the king. I'm a missionary to Canada, born in Metal Lake, Saskatchewan, and yet I'm a missionary here. This isn't my home. It's not my home. But while I'm here, Peter writes, to those in exile. While I'm here in exile. Jeremiah writes to those in exile. While we're in exile, how do we affect the country we're in? How do we affect the government? Here's the thing. Jesus said, you are a city on a hill. In another place, he says, sort of in the same, in the same actually area, he says, you're the salt and the light. Salt and the light. Now think about the difference between a dimly lit, dark, gross place and a place that's filled with light. Think about the difference between food, which has nothing, no flavor, nothing, and it has salt in it. Salt serves two purposes. Number one, it brings flavor. Number two, it preserves, keeps it from rotting. We are the salt and the light to the culture. We're the salt and the light to our country. Think about what that means. Have you ever considered someone, have you ever even imagined somebody saying, boy, this would be bland if it weren't for Christians? Because most of the time, we're portrayed, or you might have thought of yourself, as the great buzzkill. And yet Jesus describes you as his church, his fullness of him who fills all in all, his light in a dark place, his salt sown into the world. Think about what that means. Now, you could take that two ways. You could say, well, let's liven up the place. 
And you could put a bunch of makeup on a, makeup on a corpse and say, isn't it prettier? And it's still a corpse. You see, no matter how joyful, how happy, how lively we act, if the world doesn't get to know Jesus, we've done them no good. Right? So I'm not saying, let's go throw a bunch of parties, liven the place up. Hey, nothing wrong with feasting and celebrating the goodness of God, but yet we're not here just to make the culture a little bit nicer. We're here to breathe life into it. We're here to bring the gospel to a place that needs the gospel. You see, without the gospel, there is no life. Without being reconciled to God, who is light, who is life, there's nothing there. Bless the nation that God sent you. Remember Joseph. You see, all throughout history, you see God using his people to affect, when they're, when they're forced to be in another culture, you see them bless the culture they're in. Joseph is, is, um, is thrown into a pit by his brothers, so, sold into slavery by his brothers to a group of Arab traders that were going through. And when he was sold into slavery, you might have thought that was the end of his story, but the Lord had put royalty on the inside of Joseph, had told him he was going to be the head and not the tail, had put something in him which caused him, propelled him to be the prince. And so even though Joseph was a slave, he soon became ruler of the slaves. And then he was falsely accused and put as a a prisoner, and he soon became in charge of all the prisoners. No matter where you put this guy, he's going to be a prince. If he's amongst slaves, he'll be the prince of the slaves. If he's amongst prisoners, he'll be the prince of the prisoners. Because God had put that on the inside of him. But then you see what happens when he's finally brought into the court of Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives him the authority. Nobody in Egypt had more authority than Joseph besides Pharaoh himself. It went Pharaoh, Joseph, and everybody else. And Pharaoh was, was not interested in the day-to-day governing of the nation. That was all up to Joseph. Now, you watch what happens. God says to Joseph, there's going to be a famine. You're going to have seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to store up in the seven years of abundance so that you'll have more than enough in the seven years of famine. Joseph did exactly that, and because he did that, when everyone else had famine, guess who was blessed? Egypt. Now, Lord, why are you blessing Egypt? Egypt's not your people. Egypt's Egypt's the evil empire. Egypt's not the good guys. They're the bad guys in this story. And yet, because Joseph was in the system, Egypt was blessed. And watch what happened. Because Egypt was blessed, God used Egypt to bless Israel. Now, Israel at that point was a small family. Israel was a man, Jacob, and his kids. But because God blessed Egypt through one guy, God blessed his people through Egypt. When Daniel gets into Babylon, every, every decision that, that Daniel makes blesses Babylon. They, they prosper because they're listening to this guy until they stop listening to that guy. Persia comes and takes over. Here's the amazing thing. Persia comes, the Medes and the Persians come, and they they conquer Babylon, and Daniel survives the transition. He goes from being an advisor to the rulers of Babylon to being an advisor to the rulers of Persia and Media. Pretty cool. Because there was something in him. 
And when they listened to him, they were blessed. Now, when it came time to compromise, Daniel was forced to decide whether I'd keep my position or honor my God. He honors God. When they say it's a crime to pray to anybody else but the king, he kneels right in public and he prays to his God. And he says, I'll rather face the lions than submit to your false decree. When his buddies back in Babylon, when they were told to bow down to the idol, they refused and would rather face the furnace than bow down to another God. So even though they excelled in the system, they refused to compromise. But watch what happened. Even in negative, worldly, evil places, the people of God sought the prosperity of the place where they were put. Joseph sought the prosperity of Egypt. Daniel sought the prosperity of Babylon and then Persia. You might say they don't deserve that. No, they didn't. But because God's people were there, they were blessed. I want you, I want, let's read the rest of this. Well, let me read this one more time in verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. In its welfare, you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seven years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes, will gather you from the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you in exile. Because you've said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. For thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your brothers who do not go with you in exile, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm sending them upon the sword, famine and pestilence, and I will make them like split open figs that cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Well, that doesn't sound fun. He talks about the way he's going to pursue them. He talks about the way they're not going to have a blessing because they didn't obey the word of the Lord. But hang on for a minute. They've got prophets. They're they're forced between two different extremes. Do we stay and refuse to settle in the land that we've been sent? Or do we embrace it and forget about our homeland? And the Lord says, don't do either of those things. Now, you can read in the Psalms. You know, not all the Psalms were written by David. Some of those Psalms were written from Babylon. And they, they write these songs of longing for Zion. In fact, there's a place where they hang up their harps because they say, how can we sing when we're not home? And the Lord actually tells them, pick up your harps again and sing songs of Zion. From the rivers of Babylon, we set our eyes to Zion. So you're forced between two extremes. Do I refuse to settle into this land where I live? Refuse to bless it, refuse to function? Or do I go to the other extreme and just blend in and forget about home? And the Lord says, don't do either of those things. Go to the place I'm sending you. 
Bless the place I'm sending you, but don't forget where you came from. Blessing Babylon while longing for Zion. And this is the reality we live in right now. Your exile's here. It's not your home. Wherever you're from, this isn't home. You came from above. When you were born again, you were born not of just of a, you weren't just recreated, you were born from a different place. Your citizenship is in heaven. Praise God. You got your heavenly passport. You live, you live here, but your citizenship is there. So you're different. You're a missionary here. You're blessed to be here, and this place is blessed because of you. Now, you're called to breathe life into the place that you've been sent. You're not called to withdraw because Jesus said, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. You're called to be separate, but that doesn't mean physically separate. That means different. That means you're called to be obviously different than the rest of the world. But you've got to be in the world to make a difference. You're the fullness of God in the place he sent you. You're his life. You're his breath. You're his hands, his feet. His word is in you, just as it was in Jesus. And as Jesus walked and he sent his disciples, he said, wherever you go, you heal the sick, you cleanse the lepers, you raise the dead, and you tell them the kingdom has come to your village. And that's what God has said to us. The kingdom has come to Lloydminster because we're here. The kingdoms come to Canada because we're here. So we bow our knees and we pray for the city. And we say, bless the city, Lord. Don't just bless it financially. Bless it with your presence. Bless it with the light of your face. And as that city's blessed, you're blessed. Build your houses. Plant your gardens. Eat the fruit from that soil. Start families, increase. And as you increase, pray for the city. Bless the city. I've sent you there in exile. But don't get so comfortable because here's what happened. How many years did he say that they're going to be there? There comes a point where Daniel's reading the prophetic word that Jeremiah wrote. He recognizes 70 years He's here now. And we've gotten comfortable. He looks around and realizes people have just settled in. Some have been born in Babylon and don't have any affection for Zion. He says, we need to start thinking about going home. So he bows his knee and he gets by the water and he prays. And as he prays, he says, Lord, I mean, show us what we're to do. And he prays and he prays until God visits him with a vision and shows him the future of Israel and shows him the future of the different nations and shows him everything until the return of Jesus. And out of that came prophets like Ezra. Out of that came people like like Nehemiah. And God puts Nehemiah in a place of influence. He's a blessing to the king. He's a cupbearer to the king. God exalted him in a worldly system, in a worldly government. God exalted, put one of his people in the right place at the right time. And Nehemiah hears the words of the prophet, and he believes it. And even though he's got a cushy job, he's got one of the best jobs in the, in the nation. 
He says, if the Lord says it's time to go home, it's time to go home. And the Lord uses him to go to the king. He says, we got to go home. And the Lord used that king because the king, God had given his people favor with that king. He used that king to send them home, not only to send them home, but to send his bodyguards with them and say, if anybody attacks you, they attack me. And from that place, Nehemiah, Ezra, some of those prophets came back, rebuilt the temple of God, rebuilt the walls. All this time, they had to have the attitude, we've been sent to Babylon, and while we're there, we bless the city. But never forget, this isn't our home. Don't get too comfortable in Babylon. So my message to you today is this. You're here. You're different. While you're here, bless the city. Bless the nation. Bless the province. They're blessed because you're in it. Pray for its welfare. Pray for the Lord to to bless this place. And yet don't get so comfortable that you start to think this is home. This isn't home. We're citizens of another nation. We're citizens of heaven. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You're the breath of fresh air that the culture needs. You're the life. You're not just here to tell the culture everything they're doing wrong. You're here to show them what's right. You show them what life looks like. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You need to stop resenting and being bitter about the place God sent you. I feel like I need to say that right now is that you need to stop being bitter and resentful. If you have negative attitudes and you just, you're starting to get bitter and bitter, more bitter and more bitter and more bitter, quit it. I understand the frustration at times when there are blatantly rebellious against the Lord, when there are politicians or, or, or businessmen or, or, or people you're surrounded with that blatantly contradict the Word of God. And yet, don't, don't let that frustration overtake you. You're of a different place. You're not of the world. Don't let that anger take over. Instead, bring life, bring light. Light will expose the darkness. Light doesn't just make the darkness look prettier. It exposes it. But it's weird because there are certain areas of our community, there are certain areas of our culture that we refuse to enter into that area. We refuse to even go near it. And we stand on the outside as the light. And we say, oh, it's so dark in there. And it's dark because there's no light. We, we're bitter because there's no fruit in this field when we've sown nothing in it. How can you reap where you've not sown? How will you reap in areas of culture we've sown nothing? How can it be light when we refuse to even go near it? You're in the world. You're not of the world. You're not sent from the world. You're sent from above. And I love it what Jesus says. Just as I am sent from the Father, so you've sent them. 
Just as you sent me, you sent them. You think about how Jesus shook up that region. You think about how the church shook up Jerusalem, shook up Rome, shook up the whole empire. We're meant to shake the place up. We're meant to fill this place with the presence of God. The presence of God will be felt through his people. Amen. Show them there's a difference. Let's stand up today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we need you more than we've ever realized it before. Thank you for our city of Lloydminster. For those of you that are from different places, you go ahead and thank them for the place that you're in. You've been sown into the world. The scripture says, there's the parable of the sower, but then there's also the parable of the tares and the wheat. And in the parable of the tares and the wheat, he, sa- he, he describes it and he says, when he, when he explains the parable, he says, the field is the world. And the seeds are the sons of the kingdom sown into the world. The Lord sowed you into the field of the world. You're here for a reason. You're in exile. This isn't a home. Don't get too comfortable. But build houses. Plant gardens. Start families. Bless the city. Increase and do not decrease. And the earth, the Bible says this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You notice what it says? It says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That doesn't mean everybody on the planet is going to say, is going to surrender. It doesn't mean everybody on the planet is going to worship Jesus. But it does mean this, that everybody on the planet should know what the glory of the Lord looks like. Everybody on the planet should have come in contact with the glory of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. How's the earth going to know the glory of the Lord? Through the people of God. They're going to know the glory of the Lord because you're here. And the glory of the Lord dwells among you. And the glory of the Lord's all over you. And the scripture says it's not a glory that's fading. Because now we're not in the old covenant, we're in the new covenant. And because of the blood of Jesus, because of the righteousness of God, which has been given to us through the cross and the resurrection, that righteousness has made us able to, able to carry the glory of God without it fading. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. They'll know the glory of God. We've not been called to be the band on the Titanic, like I said last week. The band on the Titanic, I'm not talking about the movie, I'm talking about the real story. The band on the Titanic playing music while the ship goes down. Saying, we just want you to enjoy your trip down to the bottom of the sea. We're there 
to show them there's another way out. Get your lifeboats out. Get ready. But there's something so much better than you know. We're not here to put makeup on a corpse. We're here to show them what life looks like. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that the glory that God had and that Jesus had, we'd have, and that glory would unite us. He prayed that his joy that he had would be made full in us. He prayed and he thanked God that the words that the Father gave him, he gave us. That just as he was sent, so we are sent. Have you considered that just as Jesus was sent by the Father, so you've been sent? He doesn't say, kind of like I was sent. He says, in the same way you sent me, you've sent them. With the same word you empowered me, you gave it to them. How can we not have an impact on this planet? I want us to ask the question, Lord, how are we to bless the city? How do we bless Lloydminster? How are we here? What have you put us here for? Because he did not call you to be removed. And I know the instinct is to say, get away from me, you're unclean. Let's huddle up, let's isolate, let's get out. But Jesus, there's a reason he didn't, he didn't bring you out. There's a reason he didn't remove you. He left you there to begin to show light in a dark place, to breathe life into dead things, that your light would expose the darkness and your light would illuminate the darkness, that your life, the Scripture says, we are the aroma of Christ to God. To those who are perishing, we are the aroma of death. What a, we don't want to be the aroma of death. What he's saying is, when you bring the life of God and when you are preaching the gospel for what it is, those that are alive, they smell the fragrance of Christ. Those that are dying, recognize that they're dying and realize they need to be saved. It's not a bad thing for people to wake up and realize they're heading off a cliff as long as there's a way out of that cliff. It's a good thing. The world's going to know there's a better way. They're going to know what the glory of the Lord looks like. Amen. Let's pray for our city right now. Now, I'm going to pray for Lloyd because that's where we are, but if you're from some other place, I want you to just take this for your city, for your town, for your reserve. Lord, thank you for sending us to Lloydminster. Thank you for this city. Thank you for placing us here as your ambassadors, your people, so that we would fill the city with your presence. We've built our houses. We've planted our gardens. Lord, we know that this isn't where we're from. We're not of the world. We're of you. We came from you. So help us to always remember that this is not our home and that we're not defined by it. We're not restricted by it. We are not bound by it. But we're different. 
And there's a spirit amongst us that the world doesn't know. But they will know you through us. Bless this city. Bless our mayor. We pray that he would have great wisdom. And for the city council, that their wisdom would not come from below, but would come from you. That even though they may not know the voice of God, they would hear the voice of God. That you would direct their paths. That they would rule, rule with justice and fairness and mercy. And righteousness would guide us. That wickedness and greed and deceit would have no place in our city council and our government. That your light would shine. Lord, we thank you for the businesses in this city. I recognize that there are businesses that profit from sin. There are businesses that profit at the expense of people. And I pray, Lord, that they would not continue, but they would cease. Any business that profits off idolatry, any business that profits off of oppression of others, any business that profits, profits off of addiction, that they would fail. But I pray for those businesses, even though, even those that don't know you, that you've, the wealth of the wicked, you said you've laid up for the just. I pray that they, these people in this building right now and all the people that call on the name of the Lord, every son and daughter that you place in this city would prosper, their businesses would prosper, and because their businesses prosper and they prosper, the city would prosper. Lord, we realize that prosperity is not about money. Money may play a small part in it, but more than that, that their souls would prosper. Lord, they come to realize that all the things they've been chasing that have never satisfied them, they realize that those things are not the goal. But as you sow your people, you sow your sons into the oil field, your daughters into the oil field. You sow your sons and your daughters into retail. You sow your sons and daughters into the service industry. You sow your sons and your daughters into the farms and the ranches. You sow your sons and your daughters into every area of the city and the region surrounding. That those places will become full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that we'd be carriers of the kingdom of God, carriers of the presence of God, carriers of the life of God, carriers of the light that is in you. In Jesus' name. Those of you that were here, and even those that weren't, you know, we had an evangelist that God sent to Africa, Right? And he preached to us, and sometimes we heard stories. You know, when he goes to Africa, there's a purpose for it. When we go to, when, when Sister Brownie went to Africa, there was a purpose to it. When, when, when we went to the Philippines, there's a purpose. When we go to the north and the Arctic and the reserves up there, we, we go with a purpose. We don't just go to go, right? If we went and did nothing, we'd feel like we wasted our time. You've got to realize you were sent here. You might say, well, I was born here. Yes, but you were sent here. Yeah. He says, as, I, as you sent me, I sent them. You have to see yourself as a sent one. Yeah. Yeah. I've been sent to Lloyd Minster. Yeah. Now, if we sent you to God's River, Manitoba, as a missionary, 
And you just show up and you just stand there and go, okay, well, I'm here. Mission accomplished. You feel like you wasted your time. God sent you to Lloyd. God sent you to Macklin. God sent you to Onion Lake. God sent you wherever you're sent. Why? These are questions you've got to ask. Why did you send me here? Why am I in the city? And when you begin to ask those questions, you're going to find the answers to those questions. The Lord said to them, seek me and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. In Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. God's got a mission for you. He's got a purpose for you. Why are you here? What fields are you supposed to plant? What houses are you supposed to build? What does your family look like? Your missionaries who bless the city. Your exiles, this isn't your home, but this is where God put you. And we find that balance. We love the people of Babylon. We bless the people of Babylon, but don't fall in love with the system of Babylon. Don't fall in love with the way they do things. Don't fall in love with their religion. Don't fall in love with the things they do that they say are gods because they're not gods at all. Refuse to fall in love with the things of the world, but fall, have the love of God for the people of the world. Do you know, the Bible says, I don't want to keep you too long, but you know, the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. But then, and we know that word love, there's different types of love in the Greek language, but that's the word agape, which, which is God, what's that God kind of love, right? But you know, in 1 John, it says, don't love the, th- the world nor the things of the world. Do you know he uses the same Greek word for that sentence? So how do I balance God so loved the world with a scripture that says, don't love the world? Well, here's what God loved. He loved the people. And what John is saying is, don't fall in love with the system. Fall in love. Let God love the people through you. But don't fall in love with the way things are. Don't fall in love with the system. Remember, you're different. This isn't home. So we love the people of Babylon, but we long for Zion. We long for home. You stay where God puts you. You bless where God puts you. But you don't forget. Don't get too comfortable because this isn't home. Think about home. Think about home. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. If you're here today and you're asking the Lord, maybe you feel like you've, you've just, um, we've been kind of walking through the motions of doing what people do. You got a job, you're taking care of your family. But maybe something's been stirred up in you in this past week or in time, even previous to that, something's been stirred up in you. You've yet to find exactly your place in the puzzle, exactly your place in the body, exactly why you're here. You say, God, I know God put me here, but why? And you're, looking, you're still searching for that answer. I want you to find it. 
And the Bible says, ask and you'll receive, right? I don't think it needs to be, I don't think you need to buy a book that uh, gives you all your different options of why you might be there. Maybe God leads you to a book, that's fine. But I think the best thing you could possibly do is ask him. He created you, he made you, he's the one that put you here. If you want to know why you're sent somewhere, ask the guy that sent you. Hey, why'd you send me here? Why am I here? Why am I in Lloyd? And that's a question you need to ask. Not just why am I in the world, but why am I in Lloyd or Onion Lake or Macklin or wherever you're from? Why'd you put me here? And maybe he'll say, I didn't put you there. You're supposed to move. Oh, okay. <laughs> then good idea, move. I'm hoping none of you have to move, but we're on a mission. The time that we have on the planet is but a a breath, a blink, a vapor. The Bible says making the most of our days, redeeming the time for the days are evil. We got a short period of time. Let's use it for the glory of God. Amen. So if you want to, if you're saying, I'm seeking the Lord, I still, I know I, I, maybe you run a business, maybe you're working for somebody else, and you say, what's my place, what's my part? I want to know, I don't, I don't really know why I'm here, I don't really see my purpose and my place, ask the Lord, he'll fill you with it. So if that's you, come on up. We're going to pray together. I'll just give you some time just to seek the Lord and ask him for yourself. And I believe you're going to walk away with some answers. Maybe you're in a job. You don't know why I'm at the job. Why am I here? Am I supposed to quit and do something else? Or am I supposed to stay in that job and see it a different way? The Lord will give you favor wherever you are. He elevated his people to the place where they could make the difference. So Joseph is elevated to the governor of Egypt. Daniel is elevated to advisor to both the king of Babylon and the king of Persia. Sometimes your spot isn't, you know, Nehemiah is elevated to the cupbearer to the king. Sometimes you're meant to run the business. Sometimes you're meant to serve there. But I want you to know why you're there. I want you to know if you're supposed to leave. I want you to know if you're supposed to stay. But there's this feeling that you have in darkness that you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going. But the Bible says that he's called us out of darkness and he's called us in the light. Jesus says, you're not my slaves, you're my friends. And the reason I call you friends is because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. So being in darkness, being in slavery means I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. But when the light comes, you know why you're here. You know where you're going. You may not know everything, and you don't need to know everything, but you know the next step. And I want to remind you about our forefather Abraham, who the Bible says by faith, he embraced, he set out, not knowing where he was going, but knowing that he was heading towards the promised land that God had promised him. And it says he could have lived in the tent, he could have lived in the cities of the wicked, but he chose instead to live in the tents because he was looking for a city whose builder is God, whose foundation is not of this world, a city he couldn't see. He's looking for a different city. So don't seek success as the world sees it. Seek success as God sees it. Amen? Let's seek the Lord. I want you to just 
Close your eyes. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. If you want to bow down, if you want to kneel down, kneel down. Do whatever you want to do, and we're going to seek the Lord. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to give you a moment just to sit and just to, just to, just to ask the Lord for yourself. And when you ask, I want to remind you that prayer should never be a one-way conversation. When you ask, you must also listen. But know this, God may not show you everything this morning. But if you'll keep your heart open, your eyes open, your ears open, he'll begin to reveal to you step by step why you're here, where you're here, where you're supposed to be. So Lord, we ask for your direction right now. You said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct your paths. So Lord, we are acknowledging you. We are inquiring of you. I ask you, Lord, by your great grace and your great hand and your, your, your shepherd's voice that you would give understanding and you would reveal wisdom to those that ask for it and those that say, why am I here, Lord? That you would be faithful to show them and you'd be faithful to meet them right where they are. Lord, if we're supposed to stay in our job, show us. If we're supposed to leave, show us. If we're supposed to start something, show us. If we're supposed to end something, show us. You, are, you hold the key of David. You open doors that no man can shut, and you shut doors that no man can open. So I ask right now that in the name of Jesus, you would open doors for these sons and daughters, and you'd shut doors that need to be shut. May we hear your voice. We're asking you for wisdom. We're asking you for direction. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.